This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of the Zoomer Week in Review, heard every Sunday at noon on AM 740 Zoomer Radio. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by Chartwell Seniors Housing, making people's lives better. Good afternoon and welcome to the Zoomer Week in Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. I'm Libby Zneimer. It was just her on her own in a state of confusion at 3.30 in the morning. That's Angela Pasquale describing what happened to her 80-year-old mother, Ioli. She was tasered twice by police officers while wandering the streets of Mississauga alone with a bread knife in her hands. The incident has sparked a firestorm with many questioning why the police could not subdue an 80-year-old woman without resorting to a stun gun. How to de-escalate a situation like this? Today, I'll talk to Dr. Samir Sinha, Director of Geriatrics at Mount Sinai Hospital. Plus, it was back to school all across Canada this week, and the kids aren't the only ones hitting the books. Many Zoomers are deciding to continue their education as a way to enrich their lives. Today, I'll speak with Sandra Kerr, the director of the 50-plus program at Toronto's Ryerson University. But first, here are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. There is anger over a police decision not to lay elder abuse charges against two dismissed employees of a long-term care home in Peterborough, despite a video showing them abusing a resident. Camille Perron, the son of that resident at St. Joseph's at Fleming, went public with the hidden camera video in May. It showed, among other things, a worker waving a soiled cloth in his mother's face and jerking her legs around while she was being changed. The Ministry of Health found St. Joseph's violated residents' rights. Peterborough police are not commenting on why they won't lay criminal charges. Life expectancy for women who reach the age of 50 is going up around the world. Japanese women live the longest on average, but women in most countries now live longer than they did 40 years ago, thanks to progress against infectious diseases like flu, TB, and pneumonia. The study's author said countries should focus on lowering blood pressure with inexpensive drugs and screening for cervical and breast cancer, diseases that can be prevented or treated. Getting women to avoid smoking, excessive drinking, and being obese is also crucial. Hercule Poirot will sleuth again. Agatha Christie's estate has commissioned crime novelist and poet Sophie Hanna to write a new book featuring the iconic Belgian detective. It will be the first novel sanctioned by the Agatha Christie estate to carry on the work of the author who died in 1976. And it comes 90 years after Christie introduced Poirot in the novel The Mysterious Affair at Styles. Christie's grandson, Matthew Pritchard, says the estate hopes a new novel based on Christie's characters will introduce her books to new generations. 
And finally, it's Grandparents' Day across North America. And a new report from the Pew Research Center has found that grandparents were the primary caregivers for more than 3 million children in 2011, a 20% increase from a decade earlier. The report also found that 1 in 10 children were living in the same household with a grandparent. In almost three-quarters of the cases, those grandchildren were actually living in the grandparents' home. Meanwhile, here in Toronto, CARP is hosting a special celebration at the High Park Zoo. It's on now until 3 p.m. You can drop by for fun family activities and say hi to CARP's president, Moses Neimer, and downtown Toronto chapter chair, Adina LeBeau. I'm Libby Neimer, and those are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. It was a baffling incident that outraged the community and struck fear into those who have loved ones suffering from dementia. This week, we learned that Peel police tasered 80-year-old Aioli Pasquale on August 28th. She was out wandering at 3.30 a.m. near Streetsville carrying a bread knife. As a result, she fell and broke her hip and remains in hospital. Her daughter believes there is no excuse for firing the taser at a confused elderly woman. The SIU is investigating, but there are techniques to de-escalate the situation when someone with dementia becomes agitated or aggressive. I spoke with Dr. Samir Sinha, head of geriatrics at Mount Sinai Hospital. How common is it for dementia patients to become agitated or violent or something like that? The challenge with dementia is that um, everybody will have a different experience because there are a number of different things that can cause dementias. And then when someone has a dementia, it depends upon which parts of the brain actually get particularly affected. So for anybody, there can be potential for behavioral or psychiatric symptoms of dementia, something we call BPSD. But in particular, those who have dementias that actually affect the front part of the brain are the ones who we tend to see uh, having or struggling with more behavioral issues in particular. It's not uncommon for many patients with dementia to at least have a, a period of time where there may be some behavioral or psychiatric symptoms. How common would that be? I would say, from my experience, at least uh, 50% of the time, there will be um, patients who have a, a struggle significantly with these issues for a period of their, their course of dementia. Would all of these people be at the point where they might be brandishing a weapon? I think the vast majority of the behavioral issues that you might see are, are, are people who are just agitated because they don't know exactly where they are or they may have forgot where they misplaced something. So they may accuse someone else and say, you know, did you take my pen or did you, you take, take my purse, for example? And in terms of very severe situations where people are on the verge of violence or aggression and, and potentially hitting somebody else, for example. Um, those are much more rare examples. And, and sometimes they're actually the byproduct of just um, those individuals with them not uh, knowing kind of some of the techniques that one can use to actually help de-escalate a situation. And what are those techniques? It's the same things that we talk about when just, you know, people without dementia are having conversations with each other. So a lot of it is what I like to call applied common sense. So if someone is agitated, you know, and angry and, and raising their voice at you, we usually say, don't raise your voice. Because if you're both screaming, you're escalating each other, for example. 
The other aspect is to remember that a person who may have cognitive impairment may not really be aware of what's, what's happening. They might not know what day it is. They may not know certain things. So they may be saying things that don't make sense. And sometimes we get into the situation where we, we are very keen on correcting them. Um, we want to make sure they know our name or, or we get upset with them because they don't know certain things. And again, another aspect to de-escalate a situation is to not challenge statements or challenge things that uh, really won't make an overall impact on the end goal as well. So it's try and it's also trying to understand if someone is agitated, if someone is kind of wandering or, or looks like they're they're quite fidgety, you know, is it that they need to go to the bathroom, for example? Is it that they're looking for something or someone in particular? Um, and so it's just trying to anticipate and think about what might be going through their mind and, and what might be triggering this agitation. Even pain, for example, that's undiagnosed um, or untreated uh, can trigger this as well. Well, in, in this particular instance, it was accompanied with wandering, which I gather is a much more common problem. Yeah, so I mean, you know, the question is, they're wandering. Why are they wandering? Where are they trying to go to, for example? Um, and instead of trying to, you know, get angry with them or things, sometimes it's, uh, you know, an opportunity to distract them by telling them there's an exciting thing they should come along with you to go and see, for example, but not trying to escalate the situation further by confronting them, but really just trying to persuade them and figure out why they may be wandering or, or how they can come back home. I think a lot of people might be worried after this incident. Um, Do you think that this is an occurrence that should be worrying people with loved ones with dementia? If you do have a loved one with dementia, there are really good resources out there that one should connect with. So I I try and connect all of my um, family caregivers, if you will, or caregivers who aren't family members uh, with uh, the Alzheimer's Society, for example. They offer a number of excellent resources um, and sometimes courses as well that people can take just to understand kind of dementia and its processes and what's actually happening behind the scenes. Okay, Dr. Samir Sinha, thank you so much for your insights. Thank you very much, Libby. Mount Sinai's Reitman Center for Alzheimer's Support and Training also runs a program for caregivers. I'm Libby Snymer, and this is the Zoomer Week in Review. All across Canada, children and teenagers have returned to school, but they aren't the only ones hitting the books. Plenty of Zoomers are rediscovering the pursuit of knowledge. In just a moment, I'll talk to Sandra Kerr, director of Ryerson's 50 Plus program. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by Chartwell Seniors Housing, making people's lives better. It was back to school this week, and not just for the kids. More and more Zoomers are heading to the classroom to continue their education, especially as they cut back or retire from the workforce. And they're not just looking at traditional courses of study. I sat down with Sandra Kerr, Director of Programs for the 50-plus at Ryerson University's Chang School of Continuing Education. You cater to students who are older students. What are their special motivations and special needs? Most of the people who come to us come because they're interested in staying current, in challenging themselves and continuing to learn and know what's happening in the world. Um, But they also find that they develop a community of like-minded people, of peers who challenge them, who they can have dialogue with, who have been through a lot of experiences that they have, or maybe not, but they can share them with that cohort. So, and then... And then sort of balancing that and kind of framing it, 
they love to be on campus where the young kids are. So they love to have that buzz going around with all the noise and the activity and people back and forth and being on the campus. We uh, have programs that allow you to investigate the liberal arts. We also have dramatic arts. You can come and study theater, uh, learn how to write a play, direct a play. Uh, we have film studies. We also have opportunities for people to actually learn a new skill or background. I mean, they do that in the theater arts, but in this case, they actually take a skill and turn around and use it in the community in some way. So we have a Caring Clown program. We have a Sustaining Memories program. So, so give me some examples of okay. how those work. Caring Clown, it actually grew out of our theater program where they study clown. And in this case, they actually study clown and learn how to develop their own personal character. But they also study aging and dementia, and then they turn around and they volunteer in long-term care homes uh, with isolated seniors or seniors on the floors, uh, dementia floors, and amazing results in terms of getting reactions and response from people who normally don't do very much of that in their lives at that point in their in time. What is the Sustaining Memories? Sustaining Memories is a program that we do in conjunction with the Israeli Foundation, and we actually uh, get our students, our older adults, to uh, study, well, to study, to learn techniques and resources that will help them to interview a Holocaust survivor and help them to record their story. Then we, at the end of the program, we have a, an event where they actually give the survivor the copies of their stories. And uh, I would imagine that that doesn't have that much longer to run. I mean, that's exactly survivors right. are dying That's now. exactly right. And that's why the Israeli Foundation came to us originally and thought maybe we'd they'd use some students maybe in a psychology course or sociology or was studying the Holocaust. But in point of fact, we ended up looking at the fact that we have a number of these older adults who come to campus who still want to give back and want to be doing something meaningful in their lives uh, and also understand and appreciate the dynamic that uh, they're, they're looking at here, what, the issues that they're looking at. And so uh, we decided to try it with our cohort, our 50-plus cohort, and it's been a great success. We've had about 18, 20 students every year who come in, learn the techniques, we partner them up, and they get the stories. Did you find that a lot of people who go back to school, do a lot of them want a degree or not want a degree? And, and did you tailor this specifically for a cohort that doesn't want a degree? The reality is that if an adult comes back, has decided they want to have a degree, that's a different kind of focus. This is really more being challenged and interested in keeping current and keeping uh, their own minds active without necessarily having to get a paper. They don't really need the paper. I would think that the people who choose this programming do so because uh, they necessarily may not have the time to spend on a full-time course. Full-time courses are usually much longer than our courses are. Uh, they may not have the money. Do you find that um, a lot of people are coming back to do things that they've always wanted to do but didn't have a chance, families, work, whatever? Absolutely. Uh, sometimes I think you notice it most in the theater program. Uh, probably a lot of people may have taken drama in high school, but of course, mom and dad would never accept that would be a career. 
So um, it's coming back to that love that they had and curiosity about what it would really be like. Uh, so in that, in those particular kinds of programs, we do. Interestingly enough, though, that's the kind of program where they do end up developing a skill and want to continue taking more and more and more to develop themselves further. And then some of them actually do go out and get jobs. So we do have people, you've seen them in commercials and you've seen them on the stage and who've come through our programs. Okay. Thank you so much. You're very welcome. There's still time to enroll in those courses at Ryerson. You can check out all the options online. I'm Libby Zneimer, and this is the Zoomer Week in Review. Today marks the anniversary of the birth of one of the greatest female vocalists in both country and popular music. In just a moment, we'll return to remember the great Patsy Cline. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by Chartwell Seniors Housing, making people's lives better. Welcome back to the Zoomer Week in Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. I'm Libby Snymer. It's time for your international arts datebook tips for those of you who are jetting around the world. In New York City, Tony Award-winning actress Cherry Jones stars in the Tennessee Williams play The Glass Menagerie. It's directed by John Tiffany, who feels a personal closeness to this stage production. I just, I think there's something so moving. I mean, that last monologue of Tom's never fails to destroy me. So blow your candles, Laura. Previews of The Glass Menagerie are underway at the Booth Theatre on West 45th Street. Traveling south of Chicago, a new show at the Illinois State University Planetarium examines mankind's view of comets throughout history. On the tale of a comet also explains the true nature of what some ancient societies and cultures considered a harbinger of doom. To London, where the much-loved English painter L.S. Lowry is the focus of an exhibition at Tate Britain. The show brings together some 80 works in an exploration of how Lowry became Britain's preeminent painter in the early and mid-1900s. On display are his urban panoramas and industrial landscapes, including the mining valleys of South Wales. And in Barcelona, Art Two Points is an exhibition which questions the difference between modernity and the avant-garde. It's at the Museum of Contemporary Art. I'm Jane Brown, and that's the International Arts Datebook. On this day, September 8th, in 1932, Virginia Patterson Hensley was born. Later in life, she would be famous around the world, known by her stage name, Patsy Cline. She was one of the most iconic country singers of the 20th century, and beyond that, one of the most influential, successful, and acclaimed female vocalists of all time. She helped pioneer the Nashville sound of the late 50s and reached the top of the country in pop charts with songs like Walking After Midnight, I Fall to Pieces, She's Got You, and Sweet Dreams. Sadly, her life and career were tragically cut short in an airplane accident in 1963. She was just 30 years old. Her legacy lives on in her music. Ten years after her death, she was the first female solo artist inducted into the Country Music Hall of Fame. Today, her songs are played around the world, and her greatest hits album has sold over 10 million copies. Right now, we'll hear one of her most popular songs. It was written for Klein by a struggling songwriter named Hugh Nelson, who would later go on to find his own fame as Willie Nelson. Here 
is crazy. Crazy. I'm crazy for feeling so lonely. I'm crazy. Crazy for feeling so blue. I knew you'd love me as long. was Patsy Cline with Crazy. She was born Virginia Patterson Hensley on this day in 1932. And that brings us to the end of another edition of the Zoomer Week in Review. I'm Libby Snymer. Thanks for joining me today. Come back next week when we find out how empty nesters can cope with kids being out of the house and off to college. You've been listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, produced by MZ Media Limited. Executive producer, Moses Nyman. Produced by Paul Thomas. Program director, John Bendry. This has been an exclusive podcast of the Zoomer Week in Review. Heard every Sunday at noon on AM 740 Zoomer Radio. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network. Home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air and The Garden Show.